Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson. Speeding through the intro, joined by Kellen Olson, not Kellen Olson. Kevin Zerman. Hi, I'm. We're flying. We have a lot to get to in half an hour. Let's go, Kevin. Are you ready? Speed round. Let's go. Speed run edition. Meetings, columns that need to be written, things I need to go to later tonight. We have a busy day ahead of us, so let's get right into it. Lots of sun stuff to get to. We start with Adrian Wojnarowski's report alongside ESPN's back to Holmes. Adrian Wojnarowski also with ESPN. Managed to his purchase of the Suns Mercury to be official soon. Now, what is soon, Kevin? It sounds like it, could, it is going to come down to the wire, but it sounds like if everything goes according to plan, which it seems like it has to this point, they're going to get it done before the trade deadline. Now, a very interesting that is on February 9th. Today, it is the 25th. So yeah. we will see in terms of the, the timing there. But I think, Kevin, this type of story to me, and there's a very interesting line in Woj's story where he goes, Ishbia is eager to start his involvement with basketball operations and is expected to be a hands-on owner in matters of team building, sources said. Now you can go yikes and start burning things and, and be really upset by that kind of statement or, or not upset, but just worried about that kind of statement. But I'm going to go a different direction here, Kevin. What I'm reading from this is that there were stories put out, reporting put out that um, Sarver was in a position, and this story uh, includes that reporting, that Sarver is in a position to like turn down stuff. We didn't hear anything was turned down, though. Yeah. And what I'm thinking more than anything, Kevin, is that the last couple of months of waiting, I, again, this is the part where you're looking behind the scenes, you can't point fingers in certain directions here, but I think they've just been waiting for him to get it done, and they didn't want to do anything until he got in. What do you think? I think they're waiting for a good trade because I think regardless of the ownership situation, like with Jay Crowder, um, his salary, anything incoming basically more than his would have to be run by Robert Sarver. This clarifies it. Like Matt Ishbia will just be like, yes, that signs off good. If he's in place, assuming that happens and that reporting's true, happens on time before the February 9th trade deadline. Um, But... I don't think they're getting good offers. I think the good offers come at the deadline. Mm-hmm. I don't think that really has anything to do with why it hasn't happened. And the worst case is they know a lot of their options. They know which teams want to deal with them. They know what they have on the table already. And I, I think it'll just be more smooth sailing. Look, they, they've they reportedly already been working with him. So I think that pretty much opens the door. He knows if they get it done the morning of the trade deadline, he kind of knows what they're thinking already probably, or he will in a couple weeks. And that just makes it like, yeah, we can sign off on it a lot easier. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, But when you look at it long-term, if this team is making big commitments to say, okay, we're going to keep Chris Paul, Cam Johnson's going to be resigned. We're going to add someone at the trade deadline. That's going to possibly be on this team beyond next year, then you need Matt Ishbia to be like, yes, I will pay that. And that's where it's a big deal to me is looking at how they act this coming summer based on how they act at the trade deadline. I had the thought in my head and I'm going to choose to rephrase after saying it out loud instead of it just being a thought in my head. I think it's more likely that they were waiting for him than Sarver was holding up deals. I yeah. think that, that is the more likely avenue here. And look, if you spend $4 billion on something, you want to be hands-on to a certain ex- extent. Now, 
Hands-on is a very scary term to throw in there, of course, because everyone thinks to Sarver. And my whole thing with the, the Sarver era in terms of the basketball operations side of it was, was he the one who chose if they picked DeAndre Ayton or Luka Doncic? Was he the one who made this trade? Was he the one who made that trade? Was he the one? Did any sort of... It, we we know the extent of it, which is that like certain moves were made because he either said either pushed for them or he said no to them. Yeah, and we know that, but we don't know what exactly did, and and that's where you get in this headspace where if they make a huge trade, two first round picks for da da da, you can't say like that's just Ishbia, right? Um, and and that's where you really work yourselves into a trap. And we just want to say ahead of time before we get to that point because they are going to make a trade before the trade deadline. They're going to trade Jay Crowder. We just don't know what else is going to get done. We we want to set the scene here before we get there and say this is not going to be. Ishbia's doing this, Ishbia's doing that, Ishbia likes this, Ishbia likes that. I don't no. think he, that's really dangerous to do. Yeah, and again, with the Crowder thing especially, or if they make a disappointing trade in any respects, I, I don't think it's related to that. Um, again, what happens at this trade deadline very much could signal, if it's a big move, what they're thinking as far as a long-term Chris Paul's future, that kind of thing. Um, I think since we last podcasted, the Fred Van Vliet kind of attachment to the Suns came up and look they can't really sign him unless they get rid of a bunch of contracts don't resign or basically waive Chris Paul and his partially guaranteed deal but they could trade for him and then figure it out from there and and, and have him locked in long term if if they deem him that type of player to put next to Devin Booker etc um, so that's kind of where I think I'm looking as far as Things that could really shake up this team. Yeah, I'm not going to wake up to seven note woe notifications and freak out like I missed a Suns trade until we know that the ownership thing has been completed. That's where right. my mental state is at about this. I would not expect a trade until we get news that Ishbia is in, especially since it's this close now and they it seems like they know that it will get done before the deadline. So it seems like waiting. Yeah. Uh, uh, unless like I can't miss like, hey, this is a three-teamer. We have this other team that can be the third team or you can be the third team. It's now or never unless that kind of situation pops up maybe, but... Yeah, we'll get into that next week. We have a million other things to get to on today's episode, so we'll get to the trade deadline more next week. Again, I feel more comfortable talking about that. I think you agree. Holding it off until next week, it's obviously a big discussion point. We've talked about it a ton over the last six weeks, the status of the team, the structure of it, the foundation of it, whatever. What we should get to is the structure and the foundation of the current team from a health standpoint getting a lot better. The Suns have won four in a row. Hey, it's like someone around here was telling you guys stop talking about tanking and let this team kind of play for a second and play fully healthy and wouldn't you know it they've won four straight games albeit not incredibly impressive wins by any means but hey they're putting together wins they're winning games that they should be like the, the charlotte blowout last night and that is a really positive step uh forward for them in in the right direction the health updates here uh in the back half of this we're going to talk about the standings and really uh, I, I spent 20 minutes going through every team that's in the race in the West and looked at their injury status because I think it's just going to come down. I think two teams are are going to get in because they're, they stayed super healthy for these last 30 games. I think two teams are going to drop out either because they were sellers at the deadline or because they got a huge injury that they couldn't come back from. We'll talk about some of those possibilities here in a bit. But for now, the Suns won four games in a row. That was aided by the return of Chris Paul. Looks like himself physically, I think two games yeah. ago, especially in the second quarter, I wrote it in a way where it seemed like he was his body after the first shift was like, yeah, we're good. Go ahead again. And then he went out in the second quarter and was like moving in a way where it looked like he was just really having fun and moving in that kind of style again. I tried to ask him about it. Guess what? Didn't, didn't really bite there. Not to 
uh, to be expected on that kind of point. Uh, Devin Booker will be reevaluated one week from today uh, on Wednesday. We just got that update about a half an hour ago. So today was his reevaluation date for four weeks. So now we're looking at five weeks now. I think he might just be out until um, like mid to late February. I'm, I I don't feel like he's going to be back soon. Does that if does they, that make sense? If they hang where they are right now in the standings, I think look they pushed it back what a little over a week maybe. And if if even if he's progressing with him, and I think with Chris Paul's recent injury too, I know they're different apples and oranges maybe, but this team basically put Chris Paul in ice again, and then he comes back and he somehow looks better than he has all season as far as movement. He's like throwing between the legs bounce passes, and he just kind of had something where it's like, oh, oh, so maybe he's had something wrong all year until this point. I don't know. Probably. And that's kind of where I think you run the risk of whatever the standings are and you get Devin Booker that healthy because if Chris Paul's that healthy if Devin Booker's that healthy they they are our conversation about them being able to beat anyone it gets a lot better they wrap up a five-game homestand tomorrow on Thursday against Dallas they go to one quick game against San Antonio and then a Monday Wednesday home game uh two-game stretch against Toronto and Atlanta and then they go on an East Coast road trip for five games that is Boston Detroit Brooklyn Indi- uh, Atlanta and Indiana the first game back home Valentine's Day is Tuesday February 14th that would be three weeks from today uh-huh. I will really keep an eye out, and, and I'm sure Dwayne Rankin with the Arizona Republic will be keeping an eye on where is he around? Is he traveling with them? Because that road trip specifically for me, if he's traveling with them, I think that that's a good sign. If he's not traveling with them for that, for that, it's a bad sign. If he goes to San Antonio as well, like I think that's a good sign, but we'll see. Uh, campaign, another reevaluation point of a week for him. I look we only see what we see after practice and stuff it's not a lot by any means but he hasn't even like been shooting he's still in a boot he hasn't even been shooting in front of us i should say book has been shooting in front of us for a while there are different injuries of course but they both reaggravated an injury and it seems like pains um was a lot more on him in terms of what he's been able to do because he's not even like actively going on his feet yet from what we've seen again maybe behind closed doors he's doing all this stuff but from what we've seen and usually what we see are allowed to see is a solid indicator of progression points, and it doesn't feel like he's even hitting progression they, they points. They literally yet. throw Cam Johnson and Chris Paul out there on that silly machine with the run test yeah. in front of you guys. So, <laughs> hey man, silly machine, how dare you? That's advanced technology. It's probably like a twenty thousand dollar machine. It's probably and it probably helps like a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, Landry Shamit was the one where where Monty actually did did provide some information there, and he it's he said it's, it's probably going to be a bit of a delay for him from right foot soreness it's not clear when that happened how that happened exactly but it seems like he's a while out too so i would say those three guys specifically i would not bank on all three of them being back in the next couple of weeks i feel like if you're for- you're fortunate if one of those guys is back by mid-february I'll-, I'll phrase it that way and obviously the suns would hope that it's seven booker we'll see uh, but we'll get more into these into these kind of four games these four wins we we hit on chris there i think that's the main thing it's uh, look ahead see how he's 
see if it translates and all that kind of stuff. But Cam Johnson came also back. That looks really, yeah. That's one of the bigger stories as well, and he looked great from the start. He is still on a minutes restriction, so we'll see how he looks. But uh, our Australian correspondent, David, has been pointing out on Twitter today and like in the last couple of games, like he already just looks like he, he's right where he left off in terms of being a cog in the machine, his off-ball yeah. defense, the way he's moving around in the offensive sets, the way that he's helping the offense with .5 stuff. He's like a really, really valuable player to this team. And I think when he came back, we were probably mischaracterizing it in terms of, no, he's not this like score 20 points per game kind of guy, but how effective he is at doing sun stuff has been such a huge boost for them in, in these games, especially because in that Charlotte blowout, they were just running through some of their main sets and Charlotte just wasn't defending them well at all and it's like okay are you guys gonna just keep leaving cam johnson open from the stuff that you guys probably watched on film like three or four different times over the last two days and yeah they just ran through yeah. it and then i asked cam i was like that helps you get more rhythm right when you're just running your abc stuff and it's working and he's like oh yeah like that that's big time so they killed him and that doesn't happen without cam on the floor and then also his injury return i think was pushed back Similar to Chris Paul's, similar to what they're doing with Book. Like, they're not bringing these guys back. I know he's on a minutes restriction probably because of his knee, and that's a serious injury, but I feel like they're not saying go play yourself into shape. They're saying you're not getting on the court till you're in as close to game shape as possible. And so these guys are coming back, and there's an urgency too, like we've talked about. There's an urgency with them. And they're just snapping into plays just like that, which I, I think is different than in the past where guys kind of work their way back. So different approach, I, I think, just from very far away, obviously, you can disagree. This year, just different approach with injuries and returns and being careful about pushing guys too soon, I think. 100%. I looked up injury management on my tweet history to see if they've ever done that before. I think they did it for Chris's thumb once or twice when he like came back. Um, they like let him sit a game. Dario had something and then Abdul Nader when he missed a million games before he was let go that was listed as injury management so then him missing that game it was like okay this is part of the plan right and then I asked him uh, in the locker room before the game and he's like yep part of the plan all good everyone was freaking out of course because that's what everyone does hey guess what yeah that Mikael Bridges guy yeah if you if you gave up on him too soon shame on you I, I will include myself partially in that group I will say I will give myself the out but I, he just didn't look ready for this. And by this, I mean handling the ball a lot and still remaining efficient with his shot while handling it and executing some of the reads. It appears it appears that he has broken through a wall. I'm going to have a really in-depth uh, post about this on the site. Probably by the time you're listening to this, it'll be up on the site. Just about how this was a trial by fire for him in a way where the Suns had no choice. Like, they had to do it. And you and I have been banging the drum for two years with DeAndre, with Mikel, with Cam. You guys got to use him in the offense more, especially in the regular season. Use him in the offense more. Monty told me before Monday's game. I'm losing track of days. There was no game on Monday. That was a good attempt (laughs) by me. I almost had it. One of the games. Uh, But before one of the games... Yeah, there wasn't a game on Monday. I had to double check. Before one of the games, Monty said... uh, some of that he did what we talk about, which is like these guys need to be more aggressive. I also need to use them more. And then he was like, honestly, the latter half is probably more true. Like me not utilizing them. But they were putting up a choice, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> they had no other option no but to let Mikel not only be a ball handler, but be the point guard essentially. And what had happened was he went through a month of Cam Johnson's out. I need to shoot more. 
and he built up this really great foundation of confidence and aggression. And so when the team had to turn to him to sort of be a de facto point guard of sorts, he was really ready for it when we were talking about how he wasn't ready for this type of thing, because even though he shot, I think uh, the number I have in the story is it was 17 game stretch. He shot 36%, which is really bad. It's, it's really bad for any player, but for Mikel, it's horrendous because he's shooting 50% over the course of his career. But he, he, for whatever reason, these games come back. And now Kevin, he's hit this stretch in the last seven games where he's averaging, I think 25 rebounds, five assists a game, two steals shooting 50% back to 47, right around where he is. Now he's playing like that as guys are coming back. And I think it's just going to be impossible for him to lose a full amount of rhythm on that. But the inverse, Kevin, what I want to ask you is, is it more of he's going to be able to maintain the rhythm even more because guys are back? Or is it going to be the opposite where it's like the end of the Charlotte game where Chris is running pick and roll for five straight minutes at the end of the game? It's not working. And you're sitting there saying like they got look run something for Mikel. This is what this is why you guys did this. Like run something for the kid. Uh, what do you think? I think he's still in a position where he has to learn. Like he's not that personality to say, just I give me the ball. Stop doing that. Um, He's younger than Chris, all that stuff. That was a Memphis game, by the way, at the end, not the Charlotte game. Yeah, but I think a couple of the games, I believe it was a Houston game where he was just missing everything. Like, there were good looks even in there, and he kept shooting. But that came after games where, and, and halves where he just didn't get off to a start looking to be aggressive. And I think he had to first not be aggressive and have his coaches and teammates be like, dude, we have no one else. You have to do shooting. And then he had to go through, once he learned that lesson, he had to go through, okay, even if I miss a couple, like before you could just say, oh, I'm just going to go lock down on defense and contribute in other ways. But he didn't have that choice again. And so the next step there is, all right, you just got to shoot yourself out of it. And I think him, again, his personality has never been, and his role has never been, you can shoot your, and you need to shoot yourself out of the slump. Um. So I think that really helped his confidence. And then once you get out of a slump, once he learns those two lessons, it's like, okay, I, my teammates believe in me. I know I've practiced this and I can be efficient in stretches. Um, I just need to know uh, to identify when my team needs me to do this. And I think that's, that's the next step is when other guys come back, even when book and Chris Paul are on the floor, if I don't think he'll ever be like, I need the ball. Like last five minutes but i think at least book and cp can be like hey we're our stuff's not working i'm gonna give you a play here and there more we trust you and what are they gonna do rotate off those guys right so just one run one pick and roll see if they rotate off of cam johnson chris paul or devin booker and if they do mikhail has shown the capability of passing it to them yeah so i I setting the screen he's rolling the second guy like it's that's why, again, we talked about urgency, but also he's shown flashes enough and there's not really evidence that teams are doing anything different other than, you know, sometimes blitzing him, which is new. Again, something new he has never seen in that Golden State game, right? Um, yep. But, yeah, I, I just think this is stuff you go through and we talked about Devin Booker going through it all. If you want to go find his second season, our pods from then, you can go find that but it's the same conversation don't have time to get to it but i wrote about it in the recap last night there's a lineup 
rotation wrinkle here where it allows the opportunity for this. Once Chris Paul checks out, once Cam Johnson checks out because Cam's checking out earlier this year as a starter so he can play more with the second unit, those lineups where it's Aiden Booker Bridges and Aiden comes out then it's Booker and Bridges, that's where Mikel can really start to get some share of the offense. And oh my gosh, Kevin, they can find some relief for that man, Devin Booker. That's where it'll really start to work out. And those are the intricacies of the rotation that should directly translate from Mikel's taking these steps. How does it help the team? I think like inside the wrinkles of the game, that's where you can find it. Okay, standings update. There are two teams separating themselves in West Conference standings. I think from this point on, Kevin, we are going to have a standings update desk at the start of the episode where we go through just like the Suns games, injuries and stuff. We're going to hit on any notable injuries and any notable trends in, in the, in the uh, standings because we're at that point now where the standings are historic. They are pretty insane. Denver and Memphis have separated themselves at the top 34 and 14, 31 and 16. Then I'm just going to mention the loss column, Kevin here. So Denver 14 Memphis 16 in third is Sacramento. They've got 19. And then after that, it's new Orleans with 24 or 22. I'm sorry. New Orleans with 22. Then we've got at 24 losses, the Clippers, Mavericks and Suns, the Warriors Warriors. and the Thunder. (laughs) Again, that's five teams. With 25 losses, we've got the Jazz, Timberwolves, and Trailblazers. And then with 26 losses, we've got the Lakers. That is insane. In terms of recent trends, New Orleans has lost five in a row. We're going to get to it here in a second. They are getting Brandon Ingram back. It seems like Minnesota is the team to watch out for here in terms of who could be going downhill next to them in Portland. Portland, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Oklahoma City has really entered the picture as a legit factor here. They're 7-3. and three. If you're not taking them seriously as a playing team, get used to it. Shea has arguably been a top five player in the league this year. I think if everyone is redoing their top 10 players in the league list, they probably have to put Shea in there with how awesome he's been this year. If you haven't seen Jalen Williams from Santa Clara, who we talked about and both liked, local kid is putting in a heck of a season as a rookie in terms of being a winning cog right away. Golden State four and six. We're just like Zach Lowe wrote it in his story. It's like we're just waiting for that moment. And it's just it hasn't come yet in terms of when they really start to turn it on. Uh, but that, that's really it. Memphis uh, and Sacramento, both seven and three in their last 10. And then Denver, nine and one in their last 10. Pell's getting Ingram back. All of this is to say, Kevin, mm-hmm. that I believe what is going to happen here, there are 13 teams. What is going to happen is two of these teams are going to be automatically eliminated already just because of either really bad injury luck or they sell at the deadline. I think Utah and Portland are the two teams specifically we're looking at. There are going to be two teams that automatically make this just because they stay super healthy. I don't think one of these teams is going to avoid injuries and then just not get into one of these 10 spots or even one of these six spots. I would argue a team like Golden State, like if Steph just doesn't get hurt and they avoid a serious injury to one of their six or seven guys, they're going to get top six. I just feel like really safe in saying that on the inverse, like if Sacramento loses Fox for six weeks, now I'm worried about them falling out of the top 10 altogether. Like that, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about here. So you're probably curious, like what is the current injury status of these teams? Like I said, I went through it because I'm a nutcase. Denver seems to be in a good spot where they've just got guys going through day-to-day stuff. Michael Porter Jr. is dealing with an off-court situation right now, but they've just got a lot of guys that are questionable right now. They don't really have any long-term absences that are factoring in right now in terms of their core guys. I think Denver, would you agree? Are they a team where, like, as long as Jokic doesn't miss time, they're fine? Yeah, either. They could lose, case, like, any case. They could lose Porter and Murray for, like, two weeks in different stretches, and I think they're fine. Yeah. 
they're 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 way up on everyone. Of course, Memphis. This was part of the reason why we want to talk about this. Three to five weeks for Stephen Adams just now. Uh, he's got a sore right knee. It just happened. John Conchar is in concussion protocol. That is also a very recent injury. Danny Green left knee surgery out all year. They're expecting him back at some point. Uh, we don't know. Do you think that they have a chance of falling off, or are they the same category where Jaw? Like it, it, as long as Jaw is healthy, they're fine. I think Jaw. I think Jaron. Like if he misses time, then that's a hit. I, I have questions about that roster, and especially losing Melton. If if Jaw got hurt, like I don't think they're going to survive as well as they did last year. But this is where we get now. to the the meat of it, and really talking about teams where you could look at them as buyers potentially in, in the trade market. Too Sacramento is a team that is really short on depth. I, I would worry about them if they had an injury to any of their five starters. Right now, they're healthy. Uh, Chemezi Metu, bone bruise in his left knee. He's questionable for their upcoming game, so it seems like he's in a good spot. Are you still buying Sacramento top six, or are you not sold yet? Not sold. Not sold either. New Orleans. Uh, Brandon Ingram back tonight. Missed 29 games because of a big toe injury. Dyson Daniels just sprained his left ankle. It did not look fun. He's out tonight. Zion Williamson reevaluated in two weeks. He's already missed 11 games because of a right hamstring injury. I think that them as a contender now, I said if I had to pick a team to uh, win the West right now, it would be New Orleans last week. I rescind that statement <laughs> because they... They, they aren't going to get enough time to have Zion with these guys again. It's, it's happening again, basically, um, where now they got Zion back, but they didn't have enough time to like really build chemistry to the point where you would expect them to win three, four playoff series. Do you think they could fall out of the top six? They're falling. Um, Zion will miss at least. Like, is going to help them stay yeah. top four for now. Yeah. Deepest team in the league, arguably. I think yeah. they're going to be good. The Clippers, they're 26 and 24. They don't really have anything going on besides Luke Kennard. He's got a sore right calf, missed the last nine games. They are hoping, he he said he feels ready to return soon. He told a reporter in LA that he feels ready to return. I have no idea on them. I have no idea. I would not be, I, I can't put them in like they're going to make the plan. They're I, the I, most, the, their two wings are just too mysterious with everything all the time if you haven't been following them paul george Kawhi leonard you never know when they're going to play we're still at that point 50 games in where neither guy it feels just like doesn't... it's been three years i mean it has been yeah. three seasons uh one of the teams in trouble we didn't mention is dallas they're three and seven in their last 10 uh they've lost two straight they're 25 and 24 they have been without maxi Kleba for 21 games already he hopes to be back before the all-star break from a torn right hamstring christian wood fractured his left thumb he will be reevaluated within a week and he's missed three games already. They are a one-man machine. Obviously, if Luka misses any time at all, like if he misses a week, they're in huge trouble because they're going to lose they're all those games. So like they're, fragile. Exactly. They're, they're, they're fragile right now with Wood being gone. Has he been gone the last two games they've lost? Missed the last three. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And Wood is in that category too. Where if he misses time, they're in trouble. Yes, yeah. offensively. They're already, in. yeah. We've covered the Suns already. Utah, the Utah Jazz. Kelly Olenek, left ankle sprain. He's missed the last seven games. He is nearing his return. I think that they are some of the biggest favorites in terms of not making the top 10. Minnesota is the most, most notable team and one of the reasons why we did this. Carl Anthony Towns have been keeping track. He has not played in 28 games. He is a right calf strain. There is no time. He So he had a four to six week timeline. And then Chris Finch was asked, he's like, yeah, we don't have a timeline. After that four to six weeks passed. After that six weeks passed. Left calf strain for Jordan McLaughlin. He's reportedly going to be back in two weeks. He's missed 24 games. And then Torian Prince just sprained his left ankle recently. Prince has been the guy for them where if he plays, their win-loss is really good. If he doesn't play, their win-loss is pretty bad. I don't feel good it's about It's surprising Minnesota. they are where they are without Carl. But the whole issue was Carl and Rudy have to figure it out. And I, yeah. 
Golden State just got James Wiseman back after 11 games. He'll be back tonight. Uh, ankle sprain, I believe. Andre Iguodala, he missed pretty much all year. Came back for the 40th game of the year. Played in three. Now he's back out for a handful of games because of a sore right hip. OKC is the one where they've had they haven't had Chet Holmgren all year, but it's worth noting just because of the serious piece that they are missing, sort of a, in 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 their. Uh, in their puzzle, right? And yeah. it, he's the guy that they're missing. Alexei Pokushevsky is kind of going through some uh, some sort of, I think it was a groin injury as well. And then uh, Ushman Jang just came back for them, I believe. And that is a guy where if they're, they are going to play their young guys. Uh, Zach Lowe had an OKC writer. I'm blanking on his name right now on his podcast. You should listen if you haven't, because like I'm, I'm sure you're like me. You've caught like three OKC games this year, maybe. And it's really good maybe. context on how they've looked and... The main sentiment I got is like they are not going to make the moves that you and I want to see, which is them kind of to go for it a bit. They just traded the the way you put it is they just traded three first round picks for Usman Jang. They're not going to trade for a wing and then sit the guy who they traded three first round picks for. It's just not how they're going to do it. Portland, Justice Winslow, left ankle sprain. He's missed 15 games. He's approaching a return day, but they are going in the wrong direction. 22 and 25. And of course, the big one, the Lakers are 22 and 26. Anthony Davis is back tonight. He missed 20 games. Bone spur in his right foot. Austin, this is the other thing. I was not aware that they had other guys missing games. Austin Reeves left hamstring strain. He's missed the last 10. He's only just doing non-contact workouts right now. Lonnie Walker, left knee tendonitis, missed 13 games. Yeah. They got Rui. Okay. Before we go, we have two minutes before your meeting. (laughs) Top three most fragile teams here. Dallas. Yep. Um, you want to say New Orleans because of how Ingram yeah. and Zion have been out, but they're so deep that I think they're going to be gonna fine. Be decent, honestly. Sacramento, Portland is not a good roster, so I don't know if I should put them in there. Sacramento, even like I, they need a injury to one of their big top two dudes to like knock them out of like oh I'm worried they won't make the playoffs. Because they at least have a little lead. Barnes, Murray, Fox, Sabonis. Oh, they're not that far in front. They're too Monk, Herder. But they're they're running out of real estate. They're not running out of real estate, but they've been on the climb up to where they have not separated themselves like Memphis or Denver has. Lakers, I think, are obvious. Dallas yeah. and LA yeah, are yeah. two. So then it's a toss-up between like the Blazers and Jazz doing stuff at the deadline. When does Cap get back from Minnesota? By the way, Anthony Edwards, Lowe had that in his column too. Anthony Edwards doing the superstar thing the last two months it seems like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. LA the Clippers I think so if if Suns fans are asking like who are the teams I should be keeping an eye on in terms of news and injuries and in terms of the short term for this I, I would go Dallas and the Lakers are the top two yeah and then after that I would go with and Utah so I, I'm gonna go Sacramento again I'm not okay. sold I think they have to lose like one of their top dudes again. But yeah, I think Utah is kind of more on the fringe of like top team that we thought was going to be a surprise. And they're kind of running out of steam. If they have one injury hit, suddenly that's going to matter. And they're in a worse spot than the Kings, I guess. But I don't know. You have a good argument, though. Like it's pretty, it could be pretty simple. Like Utah, Portland sell, and then OKC just doesn't make it. And then it's the 10 teams we expected, more or less, right? Like it could still wind up being a fairly chalk result. But to end the podcast, I asked Chris, Paul, and Cam Johnson both. This sounds cliche, but it, and it's what guys will always say to this type of question. But 
the way in which I wrote it in a way where there's no margin for error with these standings. There's none. Hmm. But if you just put together wins, you're going to be fine. Like the, no one is going, there aren't going to be seven teams that catch fire. Like it's just not going to happen like that. Yeah. If you're just one of the teams that goes beat the Hornets 22 and eight, 17 and 13 over these games. Like this is just 500 basketball. Like there's going to be a couple of teams. There's going to be Memphis and Denver at the top, but then there's going to be, I think three or four teams that finish somewhere between three to eight games above 500. And then it's just going to be up for grabs after that. And if you're just one of those teams, three to eight games above 500, the Suns are one above 500 right now, then you're golden. You're fine. Like you don't even have to look at the standings. Like you'll wind up with the top four seed problem. I'm not looking forward to the, last week of the season where we have to figure out what scenarios gets who and where it's going to be a mess i think okay we did it i tried to not make you late for your meeting but you're a minute late get out of here bye everyone